but I am happy and wonderfully, uh, incredibly excited to introduce, and I, this is a first for me. I'm really stoked about this, but we have our very own Elliot Warby given the word. So just, can we stand and just invite him this morning? All right. And you can hear me. I can hear me. That's good if I can hear me. All right. Thank you for that worship. That was wonderful worship. I love it when some of the worship, I already see it in what God's put on my heart. So I love that. It's a nice confirmation. So yes, I'm Elliot. To people online, I'm Elliot. I'm one of the elders here, and I have the privilege today of speaking. And I take, the, uh, I take being at the pulpit really seriously. I have a lot of respect for the pulpit and for Pastor Brett. And, well, we just came out of Easter, of course. Last week was Easter Sunday. And it's a wonderful time. You know, we celebrate Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection. There's those chocolate Easter eggs. I mean, we eat good food, lots of good food, and spending time with family. Those Easter eggs, they're just great. And then fellowship with believers. By the way, you know you can get Easter eggs with peanut butter right in them. It's just wonderful. So you might know... I probably focus too heavily on Easter eggs, but, and then you got the rabbits. I always found the funny thing about rabbits. When I was young, a friend of mine had one of those, you know, rabbit foot keychains, and I thought, that's kind of gross. It just felt gross to me, and I was, and he said, well, it's for luck, and I thought, well, I don't understand. The rabbit had four feet, and he's dead, so how is one of these going to be lucky? I don't know. I don't need luck. I've got Jesus. And he paid a big price for us. Let's pray. Lord, again, we just thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die for us. We thank you, Lord, for the price he paid. And Lord, just anoint these words. Bless us, Lord, as we receive from you. So yes, Jesus died on the cross so we could all be saved. Romans 5.8, when you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Our sins have been atoned for. Jesus paid the price, and it was a really big price. I'm glad I didn't have to pay it. So, I don't know about you, but if I buy something, I go to the store, I buy something, I want maximum value out of what I bought. If there's parts missing, I'm not happy. I'm going to go back, and I'm going to say, this is missing parts, where's those parts? If they can't find those parts, I'm going to want my money back. And if it's like Amazon, then, well, you know, we go and we talk to someone who doesn't necessarily know English, and hopefully we get it resolved. But the point is, when you pay a big price, you want everything you paid for. So that takes me to the title of today's sermon. Do you have everything that Jesus paid for? So most people would say, well, yes, I've got salvation. That's right. That's great. I would never minimize that. What if there's more? Like, he paid such a big price. What if there's something more? Do you want that? So let's, let's look into this. Time-wise, time we're right on point here. So resurrection just happened. Let's go to Luke 24, 49. I'm going to read it from the Amplified. This is right at the point of ascension. Jesus says, listen carefully. I'm sending the promise of my Father, the Holy Spirit, upon you. But you are to remain in the city of Jerusalem until you are clothed fully equipped with power from on high. So that takes us to point one, the promise of the Holy Spirit. And what does that all mean? 
So again, time-wise, this puts us in the period of, of leading up to Pentecost. So in, in, in Christianity, Pentecost, it just means 50 days. So from Jesus' resurrection, better check my notes, yes, <laughs> we've got 50 days to the day of Pentecost. So Jesus was speaking to his disciples about this promise just a few weeks prior, just uh, at the time of crucifixion. I want us to get a fuller picture of what he's talking about. So I'm going to be re- taking several chunks from John chapter 13 to 19. That's the area where we'll be parked for a bit. Something really interesting here that I didn't notice until one day I felt I need to read this in one sitting. John chapter 13 to 19 is a nonstop event. And so, for instance, 1338, Jesus says Peter's going to deny him before the rooster crows. Chapter 18, verse 27, the rooster crows. So we're going five chapters later. A big chunk of John is this one nonstop event. So, and you can see when you read this in one sitting, these are parting words. This looks like, it's like someone's dying and they're giving you their last words. Jesus says so much and his tone is so interesting. So, you remember in, some, in the other Gospels, this isn't in John, but in the other Gospels at Gethsemane, Jesus is getting frustrated, like he's pouring out his heart in Gethsemane, and they're falling asleep. Well, yeah, they've been awake a long time. I, I, I forgot how, many, how much time it was. They had the Last Supper in the middle of this. They're having a nasty carb crash. Of course, they're falling asleep. So, in these chunks of Scripture, John 13 to 19... There's a specific word for the Holy Spirit that gets used five times. And I'm going to do my best to get this in the Greek. Scholars, be patient with me. Parakletos. So that's used five times in the book of John, one time in 1 John chapter 2. It's the only part of the Bible that disappears. It's only in the writings of John, which is kind of interesting. It's a big word when you open it up. So John 14, verse 12. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. Wait, we're going to do more than Jesus? Uh, How is that possible? Is this just for the disciples? Nope. It has the word anyone there. It's not just for the disciples. It's anyone who believes. So it's open to you, to you, everybody. That's a tall order. I'm uncomfortable with that, just to be honest with you. It's like, oh, if it's open to me, it feels like there's a bit of an expectation that I should be doing that. So how does that work? Well, let's move on a little bit. Chapter 14, verses 15 to 18. If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and it doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now. Well, who's that? That's Jesus that he's actually talking about. He's getting into the Trinity here. And later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Hear that father's heart. Like, he knows what's going on here. Of course he does. I will not leave you as orphans. That's a strong, that's a very powerful statement. Jesus was feeling this from all sides. He knew what he was about to go through on the cross. He knew what they were about to go through. He knew that they gave up everything when they followed him. There is no backup plan for them. They have ruined their reputations in the Jewish community. 
Who's going to have anything to do with these guys? Like tax collector? Forget about that. You're a fisherman? Who's going to buy from you? Because if I buy from you, the Jews are going to start targeting me. So this is it. They gave up everything. And Jesus knew that they were afraid. Now, I want to dig in a little bit in that same chunk of scripture there, John 14, 16. I'm going to read it from the Amplified, though. Because here's where we see this word, parakletos, get broken out. And I will ask for the Father, and he will give you another helper, comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, standby, to be with you forever. Well, that's pretty good. All those words describe the Holy Spirit. So if you're looking in a, in a Greek lexicon, sounds funny, a green leprechaun, anyway. <laughs> all of this is in there. These are all the proper illustrations of this. So I want to go into these words a little bit. Helper, it's obvious, it's a person who helps someone. Comforter, a warm quilt, one that gives comfort. And interestingly enough, in dictionaries, it says the Holy Spirit. Advocate, one who defends, pleads the case or cause of another. Intercessor, a person who intervenes on behalf of another, especially by prayer. Counselor, a person trained to give guidance on personal, social, or psychological problems. Strengthener, to make stronger, give strength to. Standby, and this one gets interesting. One who is near at hand and ready for use. And then there's this weird definition. An operational mode of an electrical appliance in which the power is switched on, but the appliance is not actually functioning. Now, that just sounds weird. Why would I say that? That's how fast the Holy Spirit is ready to act. So the power's on. It means like, like right now on my battery pack here, the power's on. If I put it on mute, it's muted. If I unmute, it's unmuted. It doesn't have to boot up. That's the Holy Spirit for us. He's just, he's ready. He's right here. He's there all the time. You'd be shocked how many times he's helping you and you didn't even know it because he's the standby. He's ready to go. So, all of those words, like different translations will use different words. It all fits. There's nothing wrong with using the different words. They're all just parts of it. Different gospels and translations do it differently. So, John 16, 5 to 7. Now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is, not, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So this is a critical point right here. If I do not go away, the helper, or in some translations, advocate and others, comforter, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So this is definitely referring right to the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, he's so gentle in his language because, again, he's trying to help them. He understands. He wants them to understand this is what's best for you. I have to go. So here we see the sending of the Holy Spirit is directly linked to the ascension. He has to go so he can send, right? Okay. Ascension is directly linked to resurrection. You can't ascend if you didn't resurrect. You can't, you're not resurrected if you didn't die. And there's no death without the cross. Therefore, the sending of the Holy Spirit is directly linked to Jesus dying on the cross. He's paid for this for you to have it. 
It's a, it's a direct connection. It's all one thing. And I had never really thought about this before, but I was asking God, like, what am I supposed to share? He said, this is what you're supposed to share. There's not a separation between Easter and the Holy Spirit. It's a connection. So in John 16, 12 to 13, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them right now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Certain aspects of our Christian life, they're not possible to bear without the Holy Spirit. This is why Jesus told them to wait for the promise. The disciple needed the Holy Spirit before the next chapter of their lives could happen. Then the Holy Spirit has authority to tell them all sorts of things, including things in the future that have not happened yet. He has that authority. Verses 14 to 15 of the same chapter. He, referring to the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. So one thing to know, the Holy Spirit will always direct you towards Jesus. He will always glorify Jesus. It even says somewhere in scriptures that he will not speak about himself. I read that one, but it didn't include it in my notes. So in this last scripture, we actually see how the Trinity functions in relation to us. All things that the Father has belong to Jesus. The Holy Spirit takes from what belongs to Jesus and declares it to us. Well, what are we supposed to do with it? Well, whatever he directs. So you could be up here praying for someone and he directs you. You're supposed to pray for this area of their life. Or so-and-so needs some groceries. Go buy some groceries for them. Leave it on the doorstep. Declare the gospel message to that young lady. Or encourage your pastors, which you don't need the Holy Spirit to tell you that. Just do it. (laughs) Now that we know what Jesus is talking about, I want to revisit that chapter, that verse in Luke 24, 49. Listen carefully. I'm sending the promise of my Father, the Holy Spirit, upon you. You are to remain in the city of Jerusalem until you are clothed, fully equipped with power from on high. It's interesting that he says, really, don't do anything. Wait for this power. And uh, Brett referred to this in a sermon back in uh, June of 2022. Power is the Greek word dunamis. And... That's where we get dynamite. And that is a good definition of what the Holy Spirit can do. It's not that he always does that, but he has that dynamite power. And that can sound intimidating, but there's times in your life you need dynamite. You need breakthrough. So let's get into Pentecost here. Okay, we're in Acts chapter 2. I'm reading this from the NIV. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So here we see the Holy Spirit is enabling this. So sometimes people get upset with some of this. The Holy Spirit's in control. He's enabling this. He's an enabler, but in the best way. Some believers get stuck at tongues. Don't get stuck at tongues. Keep looking down the road. What are we supposed to look for? Well, we're supposed to look for fruit. Mark 7, verse 20, you will know them by their fruits. So let's just, let's stay tuned. And and what what does this turn into? I'm not going to read through all of this. I'm going to paraphrase a bit. Verse 5 tells us, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven were there for Shavuot, 
Did I get that right? Any scholars? I think I'm pretty close. It's a Jewish festival. So Shavuot celebrates the grain harvest, and it is also the celebration of when the Torah came down to Moses on Mount Sinai. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible. It is one of three pilgrim festivals that Jewish males must attend. They are required to be there. Well, that's interesting. So how fitting is it that the Holy Spirit's arriving on this same day where they're celebrating the word coming down to Moses? Okay, the Holy Spirit's coming down on the apostles, and some of whom are going to be writing the New Testament. So the spirit that was on the prophets and the writers of the Old Testament is coming down again on the, on the same day. It's so fitting. I never saw this before. And this illustration would have been very powerful to the Jews. They knew what was going on. It would have been very, it'd be hard to ignore. So, of course, the Jews, they're quite confused because each Jew is hearing things being spoken to them in their own language. Well, that doesn't make any sense, of course. And they say, aren't these Galileans? Like, how do they know all these different languages? You can't just be fluent in other languages. That's impossible. But they were. Some joked, well, they're drunk. Well, not too many people make sense when they're drunk. You tend to right? Which I didn't say anything there, just so you know. We don't tend to get more sensible when we're drunk. I will not be speaking perfect French while I'm drunk. Most likely. So Peter gives an amazing speech in Acts 2. He quotes from the book of Joel to give them context for why is this happening? What's this strange thing? He then quotes from, from some Psalms, and he gives this. It's just a stunning, powerful sermon. How is that possible? This is the same man who Jesus asked in Matthew 15, Are you still so dull? Do you still lack understanding? How did he get so bold? How did he get so eloquent? How does he recall scripture so well? There's one answer. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. It ends with a stunning charge. Acts 2, 36 to 39. Therefore, tell all Israel, be assured of this. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Ouch. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Now that is exciting. The gift of the Holy Spirit is not just for the disciples. They themselves, the disciples, are declaring it's for you. It's for all of us and our children, and all who are far off. That's really good news for me. And the last two verses there of of Acts 2, with many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to that number. Okay, that is some mighty good fruit, right? That's 3,000 people getting saved, and these are Jews. These are people who are, they're not really necessarily wanting to They deny this was the Savior, and now they're suddenly changing their mind. That's pretty interesting. That's pretty powerful to me. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. In preparing for this, I watched a sermon uh, that Billy Graham gave back in 1983 on the Holy Spirit. 
And it's very similar. He said it's the Holy Spirit who drew people to repent. That Billy Graham says that he was not a great preacher by theological standards. That he said if you had theological students here, they'd find all sorts of flaws in what he's saying. That's not important for what his, for what his message was. He had power in his words. Mr. Graham said there is a built-in power in the gospel. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit. He works. You know that this book, it's different than any other book on the planet. It's the only one that's alive. It's alive and active. That's it. It's the only one. So this book, it has power. We have all these, all these verses about what you can do with his word. That's this book. That's not other books. Like, I love commentaries. Don't get me wrong. Obviously, I read lexicons. This is the book that has that, that power. It's alive. And Billy Graham said, it's the Holy Spirit that convicts people of sin. Right. In John 16, 8, it says, And when he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Okay, so let's just go back and revisit Acts 2 really quickly here. We've already seen the powerful orchestrative work of the Holy Spirit. He used the manifestation of speaking in tongues to attract curious onlookers in a way that they could not ignore. A crowd gathered, and then the equipping boldness of the Holy Spirit prompted Peter to speak. As Jesus promised, the Holy Spirit brought to Peter's remembrance things he needed to preach. Then the power of the Holy Spirit tugged on the hearts of the onlookers, and thousands were prompted to repent and receive. That's a revival. That's just, what else is that? That's revival. There are many other portions of Scripture where we see the Holy Spirit moving through everyday people, equipping them for the task at hand. Paul appeared before many powerful and dangerous men, and the Holy Spirit told him what to say, whom to appeal to. Right after this, in Acts 4, Peter and John were dragged before the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin, it's this dangerous Jewish council that had the power to punish you in the most extreme way. And uh, chapter 4, just a little bit of verse 8, it says, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit when he spoke. So then we go to Acts 4.13, same chunk here. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So the Sanhedrin themselves are testifying something miraculous has happened. This is not possible. These guys don't talk like this. And if you read that, if you go on and read that, they told them, well, you can't speak in Jesus' name anymore. And right to them, they say, well, what do you think? Is it better to listen to you or God? That's a shocking thing to say to someone who could have you killed. And a little bit of water. So point two, the Holy Spirit is the power to live a Christian life. Billy Graham said in a similar sermon, The Holy Spirit causes you to produce the fruits of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it by yourself. You will fail. Those are Billy Graham's words. It's impossible to please God in the flesh. It must be in the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16 to 17. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intention. Well, that sounds bleak. 
So let's keep going here. Verses 19 to 21. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other things like this. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, yikes. So what does Paul mean by this? Because that can really be, that could really, you could feel condemned. That's not what he's doing. So let's say, okay, say Brett and I are having a conversation, and I get hostile and angry, and I say, no, Michael Jordan's the best, not Magic Johnson. Am I going to go to hell for that? I'm not asking Brett. I don't want to hear the answer. (laughs) We'll just leave that one alone. But I'm making the point that Paul's not talking about the odd thing you do you know, the odd mistake. Paul's talking about a lifestyle. If you're living a lifestyle of impurity, a lifestyle of wild parties, etc. And let me tell you something. If you are trapped in a sin right now, the power of God can set you free. Okay, he's already paid for it, right? He already paid for it. So get maximum value. Get everything he paid for. So the power of God can set you free. The Holy Spirit can equip you to get out of that lifestyle, to get out of that pattern in your life. Now, as far as Galatians 5, we must be getting to the cheery part. I mean, this has been, come on. So, verses 22 to 24. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and have crucified them. Here again, we see the evidence of the Holy Spirit directing us to Jesus. He always will do that. We have victory over our sinful nature on the cross. And you know, the more fruit you produce, the easier it gets. So just like a sin pattern can become part of your personality, so can a fruit pattern. It can become just, this is just what you do. You know, think, we can think about certain people like this person just seems to be naturally nice all the time. Well, I'm pretty sure they didn't start there. And then you get other people, they're just naturally a jerk. And they just, but that's not their nature. That can be changed. No one is stuck in who they are. You got to keep fighting the good fight. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit may abound in hope. That's really good. Titus 3, 5 to 7. He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Christ Jesus our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. So that's that's the answer to that. Now let's move on to point three, which I'm calling embracing the Holy Spirit. So in in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Some people get stuck on certain points. For instance, some people are uncomfortable with tongues. Well, right in that chapter, it says not everyone speaks in tongues. I pray in tongues. I do. And I find it's a really useful tool for me. It helps me to line up with God. So even in preparing for this sermon... I was praying in tongues. I was praying in English. I was worshiping in tongues. I was worshiping in English. 
And I would find my focus would get more and more attuned. Jude verse 20 in the Amplified says, But you, beloved, build yourselves up on the foundation of your most holy faith. Continually progress. Rise like an edifice higher and higher. Pray in the Holy Spirit. That rising like an edifice, I thought, wow, that's really an interesting visual, going higher and higher. And, and if you, I know people who obviously are filled with the Holy Spirit. They don't pray in tongues. That's fine. They have other gifts. So let's not, let's not get stuck on something here. Some people get stuck on miraculous powers. That's intimidating because it can get weird. There have been revivals in the past where things got strange and people had weird manifestations. God won't give you something you can't handle with him. You've already trusted him with your life. This is part of the same package. Besides, the body is diverse with diverse needs and diverse gifts. So just because this person has this manifestation does not mean you will. It doesn't mean you won't. It's just, but what's, what's the problem? It's we've already trusted him. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 11, we'll go through this here. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. So it's this, all the same spirit. Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophesying. To another, distinguishing between spirits. Speaking in different kinds of tongues. And another, interpretation of tongues. All these work of one and the same spirit. He distributes them to each one as he determines. So God already knows who you are. And which manifestation or manifestations are for you. It's already, he knows that. The Holy Spirit will train you to walk in your gifts. So sometimes, sometimes an outside need causes us to push past our inner want for comfort. Like sometimes a suddenly happens and we want the very thing we've been afraid of. Okay, so now this is going to sound strange, but has anyone ever taken a nine volt battery and put it to their tongue? No. And you might say, why would you do that? I've done that a lot for a very simple reason. If my bass guitar is dead, I need to know, okay, is the battery dead or is there something wrong with the signal? And so the first thing I do is, and if there's no buzz, that's a dead battery. If it's an alive battery, whoa, baby. So you're going to get a bit of a buzz. Now, how would you like to try that with 1,000 volts? Not nine, 1,000. 111 batteries all at once. That sounds nasty, right? So that's crazy. Who would ever do that? A heart attack victim would. However, at that point, they can no longer make that request. They need a defibrillator, and they need someone to use that defibrillator. If your loved one died, you're not afraid of power anymore. You want what that power can bring you. You want your loved one back from the dead. Fear of power is quickly erased when we need the power, right? I want miraculous powers working through me. I want to see sickness defeated. I want to see kidney problems destroyed. I want to see cancer defeated. I want diabetes gone. I want that to be like a foul word that is just, we don't speak it because it's been defeated. I want to see the dead raised back to life. 
I want to see mental illness defeated. I want to see an end of addiction, depression, anxiety. And I don't want to hear about suicide anymore. I want that done. I want that power. We need that power. The world needs that power. I know a man down in the States. He's a very interesting man. He's kind of a wild man. And he was working as a long-haul truck driver when he witnessed a horrible motorcycle crash. The man's limbs were bent in every direction, and he appeared dead. And this guy's name is Tim. He said to the guy driving at the time, pull over, and Tim was already praying for this guy. The guy's limbs start going back to normal. And as Tim approaches him, the guy comes back to life. And immediately the man spoke, and he said, were you the one praying for me? I was in hell, and now I'm here again. And he wanted to get saved so bad. I've heard it said before, I don't know where I read this, that there are no unbelievers in hell. Everyone in hell believes in Jesus. It's just too late for that belief. So how amazing that God would take someone and pull them out. Tim led the man to Christ, and they were on their way. So Tim has a lot of stories like this. And I asked myself, like, how does he get this way? Well, equipping of the Holy Spirit through his gifting to the body. It's one obedience at a time, one step of faith at a time. Interesting thing about Tim, he's got horrible dyslexia. He cannot read a road map. And he's a truck driver. So this is how it happened. This is before we had devices that say, you need to turn left in 500 meters, do this. This is before that. God says to Tim, go take a job as a trucker. Tim says, yes. He goes to pick up his first load. And the shipper asks him, you know where you're going? Tim says, yes. Tim gets in the truck and then relies on God for every single turn because he can't read maps. He can't read the signs. He doesn't know where he's going. So he had to learn to hear God correctly or loads didn't get delivered, right? And then he's not going to get paid. He's going to get fired. Faith starts small, but it builds. Tim started with the faith to move boxes and got to the faith to raise the dead. It's, it's little steps, So what I'm saying to you is that God's not going to say, okay, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Go pray for dead bodies. He's probably not going to do that. You're going to move in little steps. But when Peter and John were brought before the Sanhedrin, that's when the man at the temple gate called Beautiful was healed who'd been lame for 40 years. Okay, so even that, that's a big deal. But there's a building. So don't, what I don't want you guys to do, because I've done this a lot of my life, well, I don't have the faith Tim has, so I guess I better just go in a prayer room or something. Well, no, that's not what it's about. It's funny how Satan can use a testimony and just twist us. That's, that's, don't do that. What's your path in Christ? What's your path with the Holy Spirit? He will independently direct you. Back in June, when, when uh, Pastor Brett was preaching about the Holy Spirit, he said, at salvation, we have the Holy Spirit. At spirit baptism, the Holy Spirit has us. We're giving ourselves over. And Brett said, you need to refill every day. John 3, verses 38 and 39 says, Whoever believes in me, as scriptures had said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Well, that includes us. So I don't know about you, but I can handle more of that living water flowing out of me. We need to foster that daily, just as Pastor Brett said. We need to build that daily. 
Sometimes we need the boost of someone else praying for us. That doesn't mean you're bad. That just means you're human. The, the Christian faith is designed around us helping one another in community. It's not about one person becoming the one guy who does everything for everyone by himself. That's called burnout. That, that's not right. Could I have the, the worship team and the, and the prayer team? If you felt the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart today, respond. So if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior and the Holy Spirit's pulling on you and you want to do that, come up and receive prayer. If you do not have the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life, as I've described here, come up and receive prayer. If you need more of God in your life, come up and receive prayer. You're also welcome to just, you can just soak. The worship team's going to be playing. You can just spend some time with God and just soak as the team plays.